0: It's good to have you all with us, a few visitors with us today. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, We're in the middle of a sermon series in the Psalms, so if you have a Bible, you can begin opening to uh, Psalm 123 in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll have the words projected for you. Um, We do love to give away Bibles, so if you're interested in having a Bible and you don't have one, uh, we'd love to give that to you. We've got those available uh, on the outside table there. Um, the, the series title that I've given this uh, sermon series is Soundtrack of the Soul. Um, we're looking at just these 15 psalms right in the middle of the psalms. Uh, Psalm 120 through 134 is is that section. And uh, I titled it Soundtrack of the Soul because the psalms in this section really are, they're just, um, just really a smattering, a real variety of things that touch on a number of things that are that are real to our lives, um, and, and when I, after I titled it, I, I got to thinking, like, are soundtracks even a thing anymore? Um, I don't know, like, when I grew up, soundtracks of movies were, you know, Top Gun, and, like, there were some, some ones. Now, the only soundtracks um, are really kid soundtracks, and, and they're dominating my world right now. Um, Moana, anybody into Moana right now? I mean, the Moana soundtrack, I mean Shiny. That's my jam. If you haven't heard shiny, that's where it's at. But, um, but anyway, the soundtracks, they really just touch because a soundtrack is just kind of all over the place. And so today we're looking at Psalm 123. Uh, follow along with me uh, if you're reading along or following along in the projection. Uh, this, is, this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 123, a song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we need to hear from you this morning. And we believe that you speak to your people through your scriptures. And so, Father, would you, would you do that? Would you speak to us? Would you unplug our ears and open our eyes and soften our hearts? And as we just sang, would you give us faith? Would you help us to believe? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was, uh, was scrolling through uh, a news app that I use on my phone. Just kind of hits the highlights and headlines of different news stories that are going on. And I was just kind of scrolling through it this week. And one of them jumped out to me. It was talking about um, educational debt in our country, and the headline read, e- uh, educational debt reaches, um, uh, I forget the exact title, it reaches all-time high, I think, and, and in the article, this is, this is with Forbes, um, the article said that our educational debt in our country alone has now reached $1.3 trillion, uh, yeah, trillion with a T, um, that's, that's our unpaid educational debt as a country. And, and so it kind of grabbed my attention, and, and as the article went on, it, it talked about how educational debt just leaped above consumer debt, so above credit cards. It's second still to mortgages, so mortgages are, are our top debt um, category, and then educational debt. But as the article went on, it, it began to talk about these um, how people are... Doing everything they can to get out from under debt, educational debt. And in the article, it talked about a couple of programs. And maybe if you have educational debt, you're familiar with these programs. But uh, one of the one of the programs is, is it's a teacher student loan forgiveness program. Uh, the other is is it just a public loan forgiveness program. And 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 both of these have stipulations tied to them in order to relieve you from your debt. So, if you're a teacher and you have educational debt and you serve for 5 years, at the end of those 5 years of service, your a portion, not all, a portion of your debt is forgiven. Uh, with the public loan, I, I guess, apparently, and I don't know if it's across the board statewide, but if you serve for 10 years in a state, federal, local role, um, and you have educational debt, and you're paying for those 10 years on that debt, after the 10 years, if you still have yet to pay off the debt, then the, then the debt is forgiven. It's, it's free, it's clear, you're done. Um, and I got to thinking about these forms of, quote-unquote, forgiveness, um, and how, really, the, these systems are really just, um, it's an indebted form of service, right? So, you've, you've accrued this amount of debt, and in order to get out from under it, you have to kind of serve to get out from under it, and then when you're done with it, you're, you're forgiven. So, it's, it's really an indebted form of getting out of debt. You have to, to serve your way out of it. And... As I read through the article, I thought, I wonder if that ever feel, if, if we, particularly as Christians, ever feel that way when we serve God. Like like knowing all of the tremendous things that we know about God and what he's done for us and his son and, and all of those things, I wonder if somehow we think that when we serve God with our time or with our money or resources or gifts or whatever, whatever avenue that is, if we, in our heart of hearts, feel like it's an indebted payment back to God. Like, God, you've done this for me, so how can I not do this for you? And, and somehow, it's, 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 a fashion, it's a fashion of us paying God back for the debt. Um, see, serving God actually... As this psalm will will show us is is actually an opportunity for us to even get more mercy from God um, Psalm one twenty three um, is was not only written by a, a psalmist but also sung by people just like you and me who who really wanted to please God and serve God. Um, by way of reminder, these songs were sung as they were journeying up to Jerusalem for the three annual feasts of worship and so these were dedicated. Believers, I mean, these were these were church-going kind of people, right? These, this was us. This was these were people who wanted to know God and to please God and to do the right thing, and um, and the heartbeat of this song is a cry for help in the midst of that. It's it's a plea for mercy while while doing that, and so really, what the psalm sets out before us is for us to see is that that serving God actually starts when our eyes go up and then it actually succeeds when God's mercy comes down. And so really the psalm gives us this picture of the believer fixing their eyes on serving God and then in turn God rolling mercy down to help us in that endeavor. Um, as we look at the passage today, I want us, I'm kind of taking a different approach. I want us to ask some questions. So I'm gonna, we're going to ask a few questions of the song, and then we're going to look at the text and see how the text answers the question. So here's the questions I want us to ask. I want us to first ask, where do we look? I want us to secondly ask, what should we expect from God? And then lastly, I want us to ask, what will we experience in the world? So where do we look, what should we expect and then what will we experience? this week, spent, the, spent a few days up in northern New Mexico with some guys hiking. Most of them are in this room right now. Uh, I told them as we were hiking that I was storing up illustrations, like I was just getting a bunch in there, and I promise you I'm just going to slow drip these on you, but, but one is just really fresh. So these are going to come out. I'm just going to get one out of the way here, and I'll just, I'll just hang on to the rest for later. But um, this week as we were hiking, it was a, a three-day backpack trip, as we were hiking, um, these songs really came alive to me. Like, it began to take on some reality because, you know, living in the city, we don't really resonate with kind of traveling and journeying and all these analogies that that these people were experiencing. But this week, I got that. And so, um, on our way down yesterday, um, you know, I I began to ask myself, okay, I was thinking about this psalm. I know I was preaching. When, When you're traveling when you're journeying somewhere, particularly on foot, where do you typically look? You look down. Like I, I, It really blew my mind how much of my time yesterday was spent just looking down. I was looking at the path. I wanted to make sure I was hitting the trail right, hitting the rocks, and so I really wasn't looking up all that much. It was, I was really looking down at the path almost the whole day. And, and the, the psalm tells the believer that on this journey of faith to lift your eyes up it's really some it's really subversive thinking it's kind of countercultural he says look up when you're traveling now now when the old testament would use language like the eye it was it was kind of symbolic it had some metaphorical tones to it and really when the old testament talks about the eye it was a symbol of longing and desires and expectancy. And so here the psalmist begins to say, lift your eyes up. Place your hopes, your desires, your expectancies on the Lord, to the one who's enthroned in the heavens. He says, he gives us another metaphor in verse 2, he, he, he likens it to the eyes of slaves looking to their masters, and then maidservants looking to their mistresses. Now, just a little clarification context. Slavery in those days was not like slavery that we've experienced in the Western world. Uh, slavery in the Old Testament context would have been a, um, a career choice. Uh, really, it would have been a career choice for somebody who was in a desperate situation. And so, somebody perhaps that lost a husband who couldn't provide for the family anymore would become indebted, a maid servant to a mistress. Or, or somebody who doesn't have familial connections to provide for their family would have brought themselves into a slave and master situation. So, this in many ways was a, a positive image. Uh, but the image and what, what, what really he's trying to communicate is that, that there is a dependency upon the servant to the master. In other words, the, the slave or the, or the maid servant would have been utterly, completely reliant upon their caretaker. It would have, in modern terms, it would have been like, for those of you that work at, uh, you know, like Intel or Sandia Labs, it would have been like a long-term contract. Like, you know that when you lock into a contract, you, you know, you've got this amount of work for this amount of time. And so it would have been a positive thing. When you get locked in, you know, with Lockheed Martin or Intel or whatever, you know, okay, I've got two years of work at least ahead of me. And so it's this positive image of dependence on somebody else to provide what you need. Um, see, Serving God, like these people were singing about while they were serving God, requires lifting our eyes off of the path it requires us looking up to somebody else for dependence namely the one who's enthroned in the heaven um looking down in our lives we look at the path all the time that's how we operate and so we look at we look at the desk that is just cluttered with bills that are due you know we look at that our schedules that are just 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 stretched so thin doing things all the time. There's no room for, for budging anywhere there. We look at just our, just the exhausted nature of our lives that just are nonstop. We're always just looking, 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 down, 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 circumstances, path, always down. But the psalmist says to look up. He says to, to look to the, to the enthroned one in the heavens, to look to the one whose resources have no end. To the one whose mercy never runs out, to the one who is eternal, infinite, unchangeable, who has no beginning and has no end, it tells the believer to look in that direction. And so where do we look? Well, we look up. But when we look up, when we are taking our eyes off the path, looking towards the one who's enthroned in the heavens, what should we expect?? <coughs> We'll look at the end of verse 2 and and verse 3. What should we expect from God? Um, When you you ask God for something in your life, just a casual prayer, just, you know, God, I need this, or God, would you work in this way? God, would you help me in this? What is your initial thought of God's response to that request? In, In other words, do you think that God just says, I'll think about it? Or maybe he says something like, what are you going to offer me in return? Kind of a give and take scenario. Or or maybe you think that God's inclination is, no, not right now. It's not for you. You really haven't haven't proved much worth to me. I I don't see the value in this exchange. In other words, we think that God is in some sort of exchange mode, a give and take with us. Um, This passage tells us that God's inclination towards his people is mercy. God's bent is towards the person who desperately asks for things until, end of verse 2, God has mercy on us. Now, the word mercy there, there's a variety of words that are used in the Old Testament, but the word used there really means for, for God to be favorably inclined and generous, and gracious towards somebody. I don't think that that's what we think God is like. Like, that God would be inclined to be favorable to you at all times. The psalm, the psalm says to fix your eyes upon the Lord until he does that. And, and really, we should ask ourselves, well, well who, does, who, does he, who does he show that kind of favor to? Like, who, who would God be so inclined to be so generous and gracious to? Is it, is it people who have earned it? Is it people who have showed their value and worth to him? Is it people who will return the favor? They'll, they'll serve God with more zeal and zest, or people that can pay it back, prove themselves? The answer is no to all of those. The answer is that God extends mercy, the scriptures teach us, over and over and over again to the humble, and to the broken, and to the weary, and to the desperate, exhausted person who finally comes to an end of themselves. Who finally says, my resources are depleted, God. I need your favor. He says to anyone... Who looks up to God, that He will give them mercy. And so I mean you think about you think about the people that were singing this song and um, they're, they're, they've given a lot. like they've left their homes, they've left their families, they've left their jobs, they've left their recreation, they've left their comfort, they've left everything to serve God. They've given a lot. But they're still dependent and utterly reliant on mercy. Serving God is reliant on mercy. And so why are you and I so reluctant to serve God with the entirety of our lives? The answer to that is because we depend on our own resources and we trust in our own strength to do it. And so when we assess kind of the, the currency of our lives and what we have to offer God, we say, I don't really have much. And so I'm not going to give much of myself to that end. It's a trusting in yourself. And so when, when God asks us to be generous financially towards the kingdom, we say, Lord, there's no room in the budget. I've got I've got unpaid bills. Things are piling up. I know what's coming. Cars are breaking. I'm stretched thin financially. How can I do that? How can generosity be something in my life when my own needs are not even met? Or, or you know, time. You know, how can we serve God with our time? Like, how can you expect me to, you know, to, to go to a community circle in the middle of the week, which requires bringing a side dish, which I've got to cook and prepare or purchase at minimum, and then to, to, to carve out, etch out a, a whole evening where I could be, you know, doing whatever I need to do, like, I, I don't have that in me. You know, how can I give more of myself on Sunday? I mean, I'm at church. I mean, that's good. I mean, church, I mean... Adam already preaches fairly long sermons. I mean, we're already here 80 to 90 minutes. This is, I've never been to a church that does 90 minutes. That's a little intense. You know, how much more of myself do I have to give on Sunday? I don't have much more. You know, or, you know, we, we, you know, we go to Casa Esperanza to serve. Like, how can I serve all these people when I'm barely surviving here? And the reality is that service that depends on God is the service that God is after. In other words, God wants you to feel that tension, like being stretched. Coming to an end of your own strength and resources and self-sufficiency is exactly where God wants you to be. And then you look up and lift your eyes and God gives you mercy. And God provides and God strengthens and God uses your serving to show that his mercy is sufficient to uphold you in the midst of it. So if we expect mercy from God, what will actually happen in the world? What will we experience in our lives? We'll look at verse four. Um, I, I think I mentioned this maybe a couple weeks ago, but you realize these songs were probably written years, centuries, hundreds of years, perhaps before they would have been sung, uh, before they would have been you know, kept in the scriptures. And a lot, of t- a lot of the years that they would have been sung is when these people were in exile. And so God's people have been exiled from Jerusalem, now they're scattered across the Middle East, they're living in foreign lands, in foreign cultures, foreign backgrounds, and and they're still keeping the faith. They're, they're pilgrims in, in a foreign land. They're not at home. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. And so what would, I mean, what would serving God in that context produce? Like what would that look like? Well, it, w- it would look very countercultural. I mean, the first, first, I mean, what they're doing when they're going to these pilgrimages three times a year. I mean, their, their faithfulness to, to, again, leave jobs, to leave the family, to perhaps forsake money, to jeopardize even the larger economy. It wouldn't have just affected their own immediate circle. It would have affected the broader pagan secular world around them. And so serving God would have done some of that. I mean, it really would have been a bold statement to, the, to all of the gods that were around them, the false pagan gods that would have been in the context that they live in. It would have been a bold statement that we will serve the Lord our God and how would that have been met by their surroundings? How would the, the people, their neighbors, have responded to that? When, when they saw you know, the, the, the dad leaving the family to go to Jerusalem, what would that have produced in them? Well, apparently, verses four, it would have produced scorn and contempt. It would have produced this mocking and derision A kind of a division, divisive nature to them. Contempt, another way of looking at that is is really this deep lack of respect or um, this feeling of intense dislike. And so it really would have separated them from the watching world. The things that they were doing to serve God would have not been met with a pat on the back. it Would have been met with scorn and contempt. And who did, who did it come from? Well, the psalmist describes the people that they were around, those who were at ease and the proud. So people that were living happy lives, enjoying full weekends, you know, maximizing their finances to the full, entertainment and all, to the proud, to people who were self-sufficient, to people who had no need for mercy, to people who were very resourced, And so, for the believer, in this context and in our context, serving God is met with this type of response. Scorn, contempt, mocking, derision, division, hatred. That's what our service to the Lord produces in the world. And so, when we are committed to organized religion, as the world sees it on Sundays when your neighbor is out drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette or whatever, Uh, do do people drink coffee and smoke cigarettes anymore? I don't know, maybe they're vaping or whatever. Um, (laughs) Coffee and cigarette, I don't know. I just picture somebody on their their porch. But they, they see you pulling out Sunday after Sunday. They know you guys are dressed to the nines. They know where you're going. And in them, that produces dislike. It produces a mockery. When we give, financially to this institution, to the local church, in order to advance the work God is doing here in such a way that it requires of us perhaps to even sacrifice some good for ourselves. It requires us to say, hey, can't eat out. It's the end of the month. To our friends, you know, can't go to Disneyland this year. It's not not in there. It's not going to happen. Mockery. Foolishness. Dislike. You know we are intensely disliked for our value system, for the things that we uphold, for our ethics, for our belief in marriage and sexuality, for our belief in um, all of these these arenas. It's why we're disliked, scorned, mocked. We're disapproved for the convictions that guide our lives. If this is, we are going to hold true to what God has told us to shape our lives after, it's disapproved. Um, Do you know anybody else in the history of the world who has served God with their whole heart, soul, mind, strength, who has fixed their eyes on the heavens above, who has wholeheartedly given everything of himself, yet was treated this way? The Lord Jesus. See, this, this song isn't really about us. I mean, it is, it has implications for us. But this song is about the Lord. Um, Jesus was met his entire life with scorn, rejection, contempt, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was rejected. Um, I want to read from you. You don't have to turn there. Um, I want to read in closing this morning from um, the Gospel of John. In, in John's Gospel, the night before Jesus died, he records, and you're probably familiar with this, but he records uh, this session that Jesus has with a few of his kind of inner circle, his, his disciples, the twelve. And they go to this upper room and the night, the week that this happens on is the week of Passover. And so this would have been the week where all of these people were coming up to Jerusalem. They're singing these songs, right? The city's population is busting at the seams. It's, I mean, it's thriving right now. This is the height and the pinnacle of Jerusalem. It's Passover week. I mean, this is balloon fiesta, right? You know you know the scene. It's a mess. And here Jesus goes. In John chapter 13, it's recorded for us. And he takes his followers to the upper room. And he says, and this is what happens. Let me read just a few verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, in other words, he knew he was going to die that night, And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew what was about to take place. Less than 12 hours after this, he knew that the very people whose filthy feet he was cleansing would reject him. They would run from him, they would deny him, and he washed them, he cleansed them, he made them whole again. See, it's not our service to God, it wasn't the disciples' service to God that made them clean, but it was the cleansing work that Jesus did for them and then empowered them to do for others. Because he would close in that section in verse 14, and he would say this, Jesus, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. See, serving God begins when your eyes are fixed on the one who is in heaven. And when your eyes are fixed on the one who is in heaven, mercy comes down to enable you to serve even the people who would reject you, to serve even the people who would despise and mock the things that you hold and cherish most dearly. The cleansing work of Jesus empowers you to serve God out of freedom, not out of an indebtedness, not out of an attempt to somehow pay God back for what he's done for you. He's cleansed you. He's made you whole. And his mercy rolls down when our eyes are fixed upon him. Let's pray and ask that God would help us do that. Father, we... We do thank you for your for your word, the written word that that is um, that 's covered in in blood and pain that it took a lot to get these words into our lives and you um, and you gave them to us and so Lord, help us now to see your son in this psalm and to see the way that we serve you uh, not as a way to pay back the debt or to be indebted to you as some sort of obligation or duty, but Lord, help us to freely serve you um, and to delight in the work that you've done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus, uh, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We pray these these things in his name, amen.